This week, Julia and I are joined by special guest Steve Cianci to discuss all things about the Fed and fixed income. Here's what matters. Live from New York City, I'm Lauren Goodwin, and this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we bring you the best insights from across the New York Life Investments platform, because we believe that by sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It's the week of May 9th, 2022. And this week, Julia and I are joined by special guest Steve Cianci, the co-head of Global Fixed Income at Mackay Shields. There are so many forces pulling on the fixed income space right now. Last week, the Fed delivered an expected 50 basis point rate hike and announced the start of quantitative tightening. There's still a lot of debate around when inflation and interest rate hawkishness will peak or if they already have, and we're still facing a lot of growth pressures at the margin. Yeah, there is no better time to talk about fixed income than this week, and no better person to help us sort through everything that's been changing than Steve. Steve, thank you so much for joining us today. Hello, Lauren. Hi, Julia. Thank you for having me. So the last time that we were together, Steve, you described that we were mid-cycle, mid-economic cycle, and it hasn't been very long since you've joined us on the podcast, but there's been a lot of activity. So just top of mind, we had a Q1 GDP print that had a scary headline number, maybe a little more solid under the surface. Consumption and consumer spending and services spending is very strong. What's your general view on the economy? Are we still in the middle phase of the economic cycle? Has that changed? Hey, Lauren, we're still in the expansion, but I think there's some debate on whether we're in the middle part of the cycle or moving closer to the beginning of the end part of the expansion. And there's been a lot of cross currents, especially globally. Firstly, we have seen PMIs roll over, and that's always a good indicator of some slowing down. We also know that Europe is very challenged right now, especially with the war on the continent. And the lockdowns in China are doing nothing to help that growth impulse. So it's a little bit of a dicey environment, not that we're seeing a recession coming around the corner, but it is definitely a slowdown occurring in the macro side. It's very interesting. Has it changed at all your perspective on default risk in the fixed income universe with corporates or credit spreads generally? And so there has been quite a bit of movement in the marketplace. And from a volatility perspective, I would say that the extreme volatility has really taken place in interest rate volatility. Whether you look at the move index or just quite frankly, uh, some of the ranges we've seen on a day-to-day basis in two-year, five-year, and 10-year notes, they've been nothing but, but unprecedented. In fact, even more so, the yield curve itself actually dipped to an inversion since the last time we spoke and is now very positively sloped. So volatility has shown itself much more on the interest rate side, but financial conditions have tightened and credit spreads have tightened. And with the Fed in play, it's always an ominous cocktail, if you will. So in this environment, we are still constructive on credit and we still have a long position in our credit portfolios and our positions in our portfolios. But we are um, snipping away what I like to call plain vanilla beta in the portfolios and looking specifically at alpha situations in the credit parts of the marketplace. Well, you brought in the Fed, so I suppose we absolutely need to go there. We're recording this on Monday, May 9th, which means it's been just a few business days since the Fed essentially delivered a yawn or exactly what was expected from a policy perspective. They raised their policy interest rate by 50 basis points, taking us to 1% for that policy rate at the upper limit and announced a quantitative tightening program that will begin next month. 
largely expected. What do you think about this? Is the Fed back on track? How expansive do you think they can be in, in this interest rate hiking cycle? So it's interesting. I, I love that you referred to it as a yawn because the markets referred to it as as a seizure, frankly, uh, after rallying on Fed Day and then selling off aggressively for the remainder of the week and into today, May 9th. It has been anything from a market perspective than a yawn. But I think the Fed actually acted in a couple of ways. In one manner, I believe the Fed wanted to do a couple of things. Firstly, in Jerome Powell's opening remarks, he made it clear to not only investors, but to the American public that in inflation was much too high and that the Fed had the tools to bring it back in place. He also, I believe, wanted to grab the narrative from the marketplace about all the differences in the increments of tightening. And he stuck to 252. Well, it'll be a series of three in a row of 50 basis point increases, the one we just experienced in early May, and then at the next two consecutive meetings. And that was to get away from the idea that the Fed could move in 75 and 100 basis point increments, which was starting to fall a little bit into some of the tail price. I'd like to remind people that it's important to note that in the first week in January, there was debate on whether the Fed would even move 25 basis points this year. So now that the Fed is pricing in the Fed funds curve, if you will, is pricing in about a 275 at the end of the year and a three and a quarter sometime in the early part of 2023 speaks to that the market has digested what the Fed has said and has moved. Where I do think the Fed may have been a little bit on the dovish side, maybe rightly so, was in its speaking about quantitative tightening. As we know, the Fed is targeting $95 billion a month after the run-up, and they decide to start at half of that rate at $47.5 billion, but started in June, not in May, and do that $47.5 billion for three months. And I think that that may have implied a little bit of dovishness. I think the market likes the idea of the Fed being a little bit more proactive with the balance sheet versus with its blunt instrument of interest rate moves. So I do think that that may have had some soft indications. But I do think, in all honesty, the Fed isn't really sure that it's raising interest rates the dollar stronger, equity markets are down, the two years up some 200 basis points, financial conditions are tighter. And in that environment, the Fed is going to lessen the balance sheet and actually shrink it. And I think it's just a lot. And so I think they're being cautious there, knowing that what they're doing is unprecedented. They've never done both at the same time. And I think they're moving with a little caution there. Completely agree with that perspective. And in fact, one of the biggest concerns that we've had on our team is that the combination of a more aggressive pace of tightening the policy interest rate coupled with a relatively aggressive pace of quantitative tightening could result in both market and financial conditions tightening pretty quickly. And the fact that that's looking somewhat less to be the case on the quantitative tightening side could mean potentially that the Fed is able to hike more this year, maybe not more than the market expects, but but more than would otherwise be the case if the market took quantitative tightening in a negative or a tightening light. So I'm, I'm curious what your perspective is on whether the market's right, expecting a 275 interest rate, policy interest rate at the end of this year. Is that about right? Too much? Too little? You think we'll get there? I think that the Fed wants to get to a neutral category, and that neutral category, Jerome Powell defined it as 2 to 3%. If you recall, when he first became Fed governor, he talked about, uh, there was a famous speech he had called Navigating the Stars. And in that speech, he just talked about how it's not observable to know where the neutral rate is, but that they're striving to get there into that range. And I think capital markets will help them understand where it is. I do think that 
that 250 to 3% kind of area, 275, if you will. I think that that represents what the Fed needs to do to fulfill what the market has priced in. And I do believe the Fed wants to fulfill what the market has priced in to keep financial conditions taut, if you will, which has made for very unpleasant trading in the last month or so, for sure, last few months. But that is what the Fed is trying to do. Their focus today is not the growth side or the full employment side, if you will, of their mandate, but it's very much the price side of their mandate, price stability. So they need to fulfill what the market expects them to do. And I would I would suggest they get there. Now, what happens in 2023 and after, we'll find out. Interestingly, just to belabor this a little bit, I was looking at the 1994 experience, and it's a little hard to look at Fed funds futures in 1994 because they really didn't trade very well, but I was looking at the euro-dollar curve, and that euro-dollar curve in 1994, when the Fed stopped at 6%, was pricing in an 8%, an implied 8% Fed funds target. So much, much higher than where the Fed actually got to. And in fact, in the summer of that year, they actually cut rates from 6% to five and three quarters in July. The point here is, is that the market isn't always right. And if forward curves were right, investing would be very, very easy. And it's and as we know, it can be very difficult at times. Well, it gets us as investors off the hook a little bit, doesn't it? When the neither the market nor, frankly, the Fed's own projections tend to be correct. There's just so much that could come into play between now and then. But it's a thoughtful answer. I, I really enjoyed your perspective there. I've just one more before I want to pass the mic a bit to Julia, which is to ask about quantitative tightening, because the last time you joined us on the program, you mentioned that this quantitative tightening program might have some pretty serious implications for treasuries, for mortgage-backed securities, even for corporate bonds. And those are, of course, all very important for your portfolio. Has your opinion changed there? You know, still on the lookout as the Fed starts to, to allow these securities to mature? Anything you're particularly concerned or excited about as a global fixed income aficionado? It's a difficult environment as, as we laid out that the environment that we're in is an environment where financial conditions have tightened, the dollar's stronger, risk markets have widened in their risk premiums. And at the same time, the Fed has stopped growing the balance sheet and in fact will shrink the balance sheet. That shrinking of the balance sheet is going to happen in both mortgage and treasury securities. And why it's important in mortgage-backed securities is because there's a spread component to those mortgage-backed securities. And those mortgage-backed securities have underperformed pretty mightily over the last quarter, over the last few quarters, frankly. And the markets don't move in isolation. So there's clearly um, a cascading effect from something like agency mortgage-backed securities through asset-backed credit high yield credit emerging market debt. One can't just move without the other being impacted. And so the jury's out really on how much the market will digest this. And we'll see namely the Fed going slowly in these $47.5 billion increments for three months. It's going to be an interesting time when they rev it up to 95. It's unlikely that they'll be able to reach their $95 billion target because mortgage-backed securities, their prepayment option, that option that allows homeowners to refinance their mortgage is out of the money. So the um, early prepayment of those mortgages, the early retirement of those mortgages won't happen at a rate for the Fed to satisfy that $95 billion. It'll probably be something less than that. So we'll have to experience what does the Fed do with that part of it. So it's going to be an interesting time in the marketplace as that balance sheet unwinds. One of the things we need to be cognizant of is what it does to the repo markets, what it does to people with leverage, and how that could trickle through. So there could be quite a bit of volatility in here. So we need to be mindful of it. It's a really important time to have you on our team, so to speak, Steve. So thank you so much for that perspective. Julie, is there anything I missed? 
Well, I think that now is a great time to to go back to a point that Steve made a little bit earlier, which is about the volatility that we've been seeing across the tenors of the yield curve. And something that happened that was very much of note to our team earlier this month is that the 10-year real interest rate went positive. So I'm wondering, amid all of these discussions about you know when is the time to get back into duration, are slightly positive to neutral real interest rates in the U.S. going to be enough, both for U.S. investors and maybe even for foreign investors seeking some yield? So you're not the only one who's noted that real interest rates have moved positive. I'll tell you as well that just this morning uh, when I came in and checked my normal market checking things, I noted that the term premium actually was positive for the first time in a really long time. And the yield curve has some curvature to it. It actually has some steepness. Not a ton of steepness, mind you, but it has some steepness to it now. Twos, tens, north of 40 basis points. So there are some, I would say, ingredients for the beginning of value in interest rate markets. One thing I would caveat it with, and not to sound like an economist, but there's value and there's timing. And sometimes they're not aligned. Often value is early. But I do think there's some really interesting opportunities in the intermediate part of the yield curve with positive real yields, with a slight term, a positive on the term premium, it's very slightly positive, and then some steepness to the yield curve. I think some other ingredients that would be interesting, and I do believe there's the possibility of seeing this, is is that we may see some larger long-term liability-driven investors begin to move into bonds. High-quality bonds offer yield and return opportunity that we haven't seen without a dysfunctioning credit market in some time. So we're talking mid four to low 5% kind of yielding investment grade strategies in the marketplace today with intermediate kind of maturities are really very appealing. So I think it's time to begin to think about it and to begin to start beginning to spend some of your allocation in this part of the market. Value, again, is not a great timing indicator, but if you start to walk into it, and I think it could be really good timing. That leads us to our portfolio pause, a segment of the program that Steve knows very well, where we share an investment idea. And Steve, I I love what you did last time on the program. So not to put you too much on the spot, but you gave us an example or two of something you liked and then also something you didn't like in the market. So what are you seeing? Any high conviction ideas for our listeners you'd like to share today? Yeah, I I think there are. And I'm going to buttress it with some of the comments with my answer to Julia's question. And I don't remember exactly what I said last time, but I will tell you that this concept of real yields and the best the best view of real yields, and I know this is going to be counterintuitive to people, is probably in the treasury inflation protected security market or the tips market. And I would suggest that an idea to avoid are tips because the Fed is undoubtedly going to drive real yields higher, and those real yields will force prices on treasury inflation protected securities to go down. And it's likely that the Fed will be successful over time, and therefore nominal rates or nominal fixed income instruments will outperform those treasury inflation-protected securities. So the thing that I would begin to trim or exit would be treasury inflation-protected securities. And the part of the marketplace that I believe offers good total return opportunity is in those intermediate parts of the marketplace, five-year, seven-year type securities with yields in treasury bonds around 3% or a little bit greater. And then if you add some high-quality sectors of the marketplace on that, so for instance, 
uh, banks, whether they're domestic or even European banks. There's some very strong compensation for risk in these areas of the marketplace and senior parts of the capital structure, bonds trading and the one and a half, the one and three quarters area for domestic banks, probably another 50 basis points wider than that for European banks at the top of the capital structure, if you will. And then for those who are looking to take on a little bit more risk with deep discount dollar prices, areas of the market and in, in, in the preferred portions of the marketplace with very well capitalized banking institutions look very appealing to us. And they're, they're something that our team has been investing in. As always, some stellar ideas for us and for our listeners, Steve. Thank you so much for taking the time, especially amid a particularly crazy market, to join us and share your insights today. We, as always, appreciate and enjoy it. Thank you, folks. I always love the conversation and good luck. It's a tough market right now. Coming up next, inflation numbers for April come out this week, and it almost goes without saying that they'll be high, but it's critical for investors to understand what is driving prices and whether these pressures are continuing to build. That's it for today. We'll be back next week for more Market Matters. In the meantime, if you have a question or topic of interest, favorite special guests like Steve, reach out to us on LinkedIn. You can also follow our views on NewYorkLifeInvestments.com and click the Insights tab. Until then, I'm Lauren Goodwin. And I'm Julia Herman. See you next time. Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamox and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I will now read our disclosures from compliance. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which may vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific date, is subject to change, and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or adopt any investment strategy. There's no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is both a service mark and the common trade name of certain investment advisors affiliated with New York Life Insurance Company. Securities are distributed by Nylife Distributors, LLC, 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302, a wholly owned subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company. Nylife Distributors, LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.